This presentation is from Design Research 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Our third session for today and carrying on this theme of culture and cultural change uh, and, and building a culture that is welcoming and accepting and, and curious, I'd like you to join me in welcoming Julia Nelson Thank from Mooprint to the stage. Thank you, Julia. Thank you. Great. Hello, Melbourne. Um, thank you for, so much for having me here today. Um, my name is Julia Nelson, and I'm the head of product research at Moo, where I lead a small team of design and user experience researchers. And I've got the challenge of following on two really great presentations, um, but I think there's so many parallels in the challenges that we're contending with in our own company, and I hope that some of the insights from our experience can add to the conversation that we're starting today. So for those of you who aren't familiar with Moo, we're an online print and design company based in London. We make all sorts of print products from business cards to postcards. But our higher purpose is to use technology to make great design accessible to everyone. Um, and our mission in particular is to help companies of all sizes build great brands. So in alignment with this morning's themes, I'm going to talk about design research not only in terms of theory or method, but as a function and a culture within a larger organization. And specifically, I'll share some of the challenges that my team has encountered. Funny, one of them is scaling, so this is a common topic. Um, and share some of the things that we've tried to address um, those challenges in our work, some of which have been successful, some not so much, and some of the lessons we've gotten along the way. So at a minimum, I hope for those of you who are struggling with similar things, you feel a little less alone, but hopefully um, I'll give you some ideas to trying your own work, whether by adopting them into your own organization or even better by adapting and improving on them. So when I started thinking about this talk, I made my own list about what I think the common challenges are for researchers embedded within a larger organization. And I've divided these into two types of challenges, internal to research teams and for the research team in engaging with the broader organization. And I'm not going to read all of these out loud, but as I click through, it'd be great if you can raise your hands if you've encountered any of these. So, yep, keep them up. <laughs> Trying to get every hand in the room up. <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, that's a fair amount of you. Um, so clearly I can't cover all of these today. I'm going to focus on just a few, but I'm happy to continue the conversation during um, the break. So just to set the scene a little bit, um, back when I first started at Moo, a little over a year ago, similar to Scott and Anita, we had a exactly two researchers, myself and my colleague Georgia, um, to serve a business of more than 500, not quite the size of Google, but it's still intimidating, and we had no idea how we were going to scale our work. There was also a really limited view of design research internally. So while Moo had had a research function since 2013, in the past it almost exclusively did usability testing on our website. So we were stuck at the back end of the double diamond doing only summative research. That's fine, but it's a really big missed opportunity to unlock the value that research can provide much earlier in the design process. And finally, our work was confined to our technology crews who build our website and software um, that people use to create our designs, but we create physical products. We didn't have any traction with the other parts of the business who didn't see design research as a tool that could add value to their own work. So if we fast forward to the present, we're now a mighty team of three. 
<laughs> Yay! But more importantly, the nature of the work that we do and who we do it with has changed dramatically. So we still do summative research, um, but we also do much more exploratory and generative work. We also work for a far wider range of stakeholders, um, from physical product design to our creative teams to the executive leadership, and we've stretched into new realms of work on physical product innovation and service design. We've even applied our skills to working internally to understand our programmers' user needs when we're purchasing products. So how did we get here? So looking back, it, it seems almost magical, um, and it's not really one thing that enabled that change. But the progress that we've made centers on how we've tackled two challenges. So leveraging limited resources to serve more of the business and enhancing the value and impact of design research within it. So let's go for these one at a time. So challenge number one, how do you scale your capacity to serve a large organization when you're a small team with limited resources? We've used three strategies. One, make research as lean as possible build or borrow capacity from other parts of the company, and expand our own capabilities as researchers. Our first strategy is making research as lean as possible. Well, what does that actually mean? We think about making research lean in four ways. So lean in scope, method, analysis, and deliverables. So number one. Um, when we're starting a project, we try and scope it as tightly as possible. So when we get a research request, we have a participatory workshop with the key business stakeholders who are requesting it, either in person or even remotely, in order to get all of their questions and assumptions out on the table. And doing this together ensures that everyone who has an interest in that research is heard and that there's alignment across those stakeholders on what their burning questions are. Then we prioritize. Um, we ask stakeholders to tell us which questions pose the greatest risk to the business if we don't have the answer, and we focus primarily on those must-haves. This also has the added benefit of ensuring that the answers that we're getting are directly tied to a critical business need or decision. This isn't easy to do. It requires discipline, and I personally struggle to push back on stakeholders because I get really excited about what we're going to learn. Um, and we're continuing to experiment with the best format for doing this, but it's been really invaluable in figuring out how, how to efficiently employ our time and making the research benefits clearer by tying them directly to the things which are top of mind for our stakeholders. Second, we try and ask ourselves, what's the minimum viable research that we can do to answer this question? So where we can, we use really lightweight techniques to get just enough insight. My favorite example of this is the one on the left. It's a mini ethnography that we did internally. We got our UX designers and developers um, who were working on the software that customers use to design um, their products to observe our internal art workers who use that same software to fix the problems that customers are having. So this helped us develop some specific insights about customer needs with minimal time investment before we went out and did lots of big testing and progressed the initial designs much more quickly. We also utilize guerrilla testing and hack the heck out of our remote testing platform to deliver insight as quickly and efficiently as possible. But we're always very careful to never sacrifice using the appropriate method for a quick one. So we always ensure that it's going to deliver the insights with the right audience and the right rigor. And even though we're using the lightest possible touch where we can, this isn't always possible when you're doing more exploratory work. Third, we've been experimenting with ways to rapidly capture, analyze, and prioritize our findings. So the photo on the left is from a rapid um, wash-up that we used to capture interviews about customer needs. So we noted the critical findings across the whole set of interviews and prioritized them using design research's favorite tool, the Post-it. Um, 
And then we were able to, with minimal documentation, turn those into design choices almost immediately. Um, this is another example of a super lean data capture sheet. So one of my teammates has been experimenting with just capturing the things that we need to know to answer those critical questions. And it can feel really scary to let go of extensive documentation. Sometimes I think we use it as armor <laughs> um, to justify what we're doing. Um, and we still make recordings of our work just you know, in case we need a backup. But the value of research really lies in how quickly we can turn it into action and not in the paper that we might generate around it. So the final one is the most challenging for us. Um, we still deliver most of our findings as PowerPoints, but we're also discovering much simpler options that require less time but can still convey the key insights. So sometimes it's just an email summary. Um, and we've also started exploring posters and diagrams as more visual alternatives to a traditional report. Our second strategy is to build or borrow capacity from other parts of the company. So one of the most important things we did last year was to put together a short four-part training program for our nine UX designers um, to give them the skills and confidence to run their own user tests, very similar to A and Z. Now, one-time training isn't necessarily enough to build those skills, so we also set up weekly office hours to provide them with ongoing supports. Fortunately, we're all in the same office. And every researcher has a one-hour slot open every week for the designers to come talk to us about research design, about execution, about analysis. So that's Alex and my team over there working with Noella, who's one of our UI designers. And that structure gives them a way to get timely support. It gives us some insight or oversight and quality control about the research that they're doing. And the impact of that investment and capability has been massive. So first, it dramatically expanded the amount of testing that we're able to do, which is critical to iterative design. That, that graph on the right shows um, our past use of our remote testing platform, and you can see the massive leap of work that happens in 2017 as compared to last year's, and that trend is only accelerating. Um, Second, it's enabled the designers to work at the speed that they need. They don't have to wait on us to have the capacity to serve them. And it's freed us up to work more on exploratory work further up the double diamond, serve other parts of the company, or work on complex projects across multiple functions, like a new offering that we're launching for a new customer segment. Now we're working on expanding that training to other parts of the organization who could benefit from it, like our creative teams and our digital marketers um, who want to be able to use testing feedback to shape their own work. And we've also begun to explore a more sustained but informal mentorship program for people in the company who want to become research deputies, who we can pull on um, for other kinds of work. And that's a really nice way of um, finding more resources, but also for my team to grow their own skills in mentorship and coaching. We also shamelessly borrow capacity. Um, so data analysis takes up most of your time in the research process. So we've started using a lot of collaborative analyses or trying to empower stakeholders to do their own analysis so we can extend our own capabilities. So on the left is from a workshop that I ran with stakeholders to analyze interviews and cultural probes um, that we did with professional graphic designers. So I pulled together all the data, but they extracted the insight. And on the right is a collaborative video analysis I did with six other people recently. So I provided the guidance on what to work for, I reviewed the notes, I asked for clarification, and we agreed the findings collectively. But that meant that rather than reviewing 24 videos, I watched three, and the quality was still the same. Finally, especially with remote user testing, um, we started to design and launch tests, but then let stakeholders watch their own videos. Um, so we'll watch the first video with them, we might coach them on what to look for, but we leave it to them to complete the analysis. And doing this not only augments our own bandwidth, 
but it usually leads to better insights because the people who are going to use them are able to capture what matters. So the third aspect of scaling our capacity has been finding ways to grow our capabilities as individual researchers. So most of us don't come into design research as what I would call a full-stack researcher. So barring that term from the software development field is I think it's an apt parallel. So I don't think, I don't know if anyone here doesn't work in tech, but um, for those of you who don't, that refers to a programmer who understands all of the layers of software that make up a website. So they're very valuable because they can quickly pick up and work on any aspect of the system. So similarly, being an effective design researcher requires nimbleness and ability to work all across that double diamond. And that means you need to know and use a lot of different methods. Um, you need organizational skills like project management, communication skills, presentation skills, interview and observation skills, interpersonal skills. In other words, a really wide breadth of knowledge and ability. And that's been particularly true for us as our scope of work and the ways that we add value have started to expand. Moreover, design research is really experiential and it's evolving. So there's a big difference between you know, what you can learn from reading about technique and applying it. So it's at that cold face of application, furthermore, that the innovation and the efficiency start to happen. So how as researchers do we learn new methods, hone our organizational and interpersonal skills, and learn from, evolve, and innovate on our practice? So first is by consciously leveraging the diverse skill sets within our own team. So from the outset, my boss and I set out to purposefully hire team members who had unique skill sets and experiences. So I'm an ethnographer with a business background. Alex um, does a lot of work in ideation, and Georgia is a, our UX researcher extraordinaire. Um, but actually taking advantage of those skills doesn't happen automatically. I have a colleague who likes to say, putting a bunch of people in a room does not collaboration make. So we've started to actively pair up on projects, and that's kind of hard to do when you're a team of three. So we're looking at different roles that allow that collaboration and learning with minimal time commitment. So kind of the classic option is to work together on all aspects of a project as joint executors. But you can also serve as advisors to each other, so providing methodological guidance or serving as a sounding board. Or we might choose to apprentice on a project, participating in some meetings or observing a few sessions to start building skills and methods in that area. So we're giving ourselves the permission to try and collaborate in different ways. We've also established ceremonies that create space for us to learn and improve on our practice. Um, that includes our research guild, so that's a twice-monthly, 45-minute meeting where everyone in the organization who's interested in design research shows up. So it's not just us, it's everyone we've built capacity with, everyone who's exploring this field. We emphasize sharing work in progress because that's the most beneficial. It's when people don't come with a something polished but with a problem or a piece of work in progress that we can reflect on and help and use them come up with new ideas that we start to learn from everyday innovation. The three of us full-time researchers also engage in ad hoc project retrospectives, um, so where we formally reflect on what we did and did not work after the project is over. Um, and that allows us to learn from each other's experiences, brainstorm solutions, um, like these are some ideas for better managing observer note-taking more efficiently. And I think talking about failure in particular is key here, so that you can transform that failure into learning. And those ceremonies are also important because of the behaviors that they reinforce, so collaboration, continuous learning, and constant experimentation for improvement. 
Finally, there's been a lot of academic work that's highlighted the importance of links across different networks of people for innovation, and it's those connections across organizational boundaries that stimulate new ideas. Um, so we created the internal guild as a way of connecting people within the company, but we also took it a step further and we built our own external network. So we realized there wasn't a good meetup for user experience researchers in London, so Georgia took it upon herself to create one. So now we have the chance to learn from colleagues at the BBC or Moonpeg and other companies as well as our own experience on a, a six-week basis. So challenge two, how do you maximize the impact of design research on the business? So in addition to the scoping workshops I talked about before or participation, as um, Hendrik discussed, and we also use a lot of, we've kind of engaged in two deliberate efforts to enhance our value. Um, there are a lot of people at Moo who've never heard of design research before, let alone know anything about it. So we've had to engage in ongoing education to communicate what we do and the kinds of insights that we can offer that they might value. And there's been a lot of different forms of that, including a roadshow to reposition the function and how we approach our work, quarterly meetings with all of our key department heads to discuss their business objectives and explain one-on-one -on -one how research can help them, and a new sort of lightweight research one-on-one training for all of the company. But we found that we're still struggling with two things, changing how the company explores problems, that mindset of design research, and integrating design research into the rhythm of business decision-making. So this is something we're working on that's new. It's a jacked up version of the double diamond. Um, we'll, make, we'll put it in a more usable form. <laughs> um, but this is definitely a draft. Um, and it's intended to serve as a map for stakeholders to orient themselves. So figuring out where they are in the design process, depending on the decisions they're trying to make, the questions that research can help to answer, the timelines they need to think about in order to incorporate findings into their decisions because tactical summative research can be done in two weeks, but doing an ethnographic study or observation is three months maybe. And the kinds of research methods that we might use at different points in the process. So an earlier version of this tool has actually already become a reference point in discussions with stakeholders. We really needed a common language and a visual way of talking to them about this so that um, sort of extended double diamond that I showed earlier is, is what we've been using. And it's been really helpful for us um, to encourage people to ensure they're asking or they're exploring problems before they develop solutions, which is a classic problem, I think, for those of us who work with people who don't come from design research, and then planning in enough time for the research to get done. Second, we're doing everything we can to maximize the value that the business gets out of the research we do. So part of that is lean and digestible deliverables, but getting people to use the research to participate has been the best way to ensure the findings are actions. So we think about that as different ways of engaging people. So even if they can observe, can they be involved in scoping? Can they be involved in analysis? And the understanding and the empathy that comes out of that really motivates action, as Hendrik talked about earlier. So we've seen software developers who've come to you know, one observation session argue passionately with product designers about certain features because they've seen firsthand what those problems are. Um, we've also come to realize that there will always be a gap in the knowledge that we as researchers have about what insights are most useful to the business and can be acted on. I think we feel pressure sometimes to give a recommendation. Um, but we've actually started to put a pause between findings and making recommendations so that we can engage stakeholders. So even those who haven't had a chance to participate in research so that they can absorb, reflect on, and then tell us what they find most useful about our work and how it should be actioned. 
So this photo is from a recent co-creation workshop that we did with 16 of our customers. Um, we took all of the ideas from that workshop and we had the head of product design prioritize the ones that he wanted to add to their strategy because he knew better than we did what had already been considered and what was new and exciting. So it's a simple shift, but it's been a really powerful one that creates ownership and motivation and enhances the impact of our work. And the last aspect of maximizing impact is about timing, which brings me to my last slide. So sometimes the business isn't ready to absorb an insight, and we found this in particular with um, exploratory work. So being able to manage that knowledge and archive, organize, and manage those insights we're accumulating so that we can make them visible and retrievable when we're ready to action them is one of the next biggest challenges that we need to take on, along with several others. So things that we're thinking about are stuff like balancing strategic and tactical research in our portfolio, measuring our impact on business performance, expanding the channels through which we engage the company to things like onboarding new employees, and continuing to empower others within the organization to participate in or even conduct their own research. So as we continue to cultivate a culture of research within the company, I believe that it's the culture that we're cultivating inside the team of collaboration, that continuous experimentation and continuous learning, and not the least by connecting with fellow travelers like you, that that's going to be crucial to our success. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Design Research 2018. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.